Let's open our Bibles this morning for the reading of sacred scripture. We are at Psalm 7, Psalm 7, and then we will read from 1 John chapter 3. I'm reading from the ESV. If you want to hop on your electronic device and join me in that translation, please feel free. Psalm 7, 1, a shagan of David, which he sang to the Lord concerning the, wood, the words of Cush, a Benjaminite. That, uh, that Hebrew uh, term, shagan, is a curious one. We're not sure exactly what that means. The ESV has a probably a musical or liturgical term. It might have something to do with the irregular rhythm of uh, this particular psalm. Psalm 7-1. O Lord my God, in you do I take refuge. Save me from all my pursuers and deliver me. Lest like a lion they tear my soul apart, rending it in pieces with none to deliver. O Lord my God, if I have done this, if there is wrong in my hands, if I have repaid my friend with evil, or plundered my enemy without cause. Let the enemy pursue my soul and overtake it, and let him trample my life to the ground and lay my glory in the dust. Arise, O Lord, in your anger. Lift yourself up against the fury of my enemies. Awake for me. You have appointed a judgment. Let the assembly of the peoples be gathered about you. Over it return on high. The Lord judges the peoples. Judge me, O Lord, according to my righteousness and according to the integrity that is in me. Oh, let the evil of the wicked come to an end. And may you establish the righteous, you who test the minds and hearts. O righteous God, my shield is with God, who saves the upright in heart. God is a righteous judge. And a God who feels indignation every day. If a man does not repent, God will whet his sword. He is bent and readied his bow. He has prepared for him his deadly weapons, making his arrows fiery shafts. Behold, a wicked man conceives evil and is pregnant with mischief and gives birth to lies. He makes a pit digging it out and falls into the hole that he has made. His mischief returns upon his own head, and on his own skull his violence descends. I will give to the Lord the thanks due to his righteousness, and I will sing praise to the name of the Lord, the Most High. Now, First John chapter 3, and we'll begin at verse 11. First John 3:11 For this is the message that you have heard from the beginning that we should love one another We should not be like Cain who was of the evil one and murdered his brother and why did he murder him because his own deeds were evil and his brother's righteous Do not be surprised brothers that the world hates you 
We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. By this we know love. That he laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. By this we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our hearts before him. For whenever our hearts condemn us, God is greater than our heart, and he knows everything. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. And whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do what pleases him. And this is his commandment, that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another just as he has commanded us. Whoever keeps his commandments abides in God and God in him. And by this we know that he abides in us by the Spirit whom he has given us. Amen. Well, let's sing, brother. Amen. stood as captive slaves the bonds of sin and death our chains but he with blood our freedom bought it was finished on the cross yes it was finished on the cross of sin the sting of death were swallowed up by righteousness and vanquished by the Son of God it was finished on the cross yes it was finished on the cross Now we rejoice in victory. We lift our eyes to Calvary. Before the battle has begun. By Jesus' blood it has been won. Yes, it was finished on the cross. While our hearts have turned from sin, this flesh is waging war within. 
Though sin remains, our guilt is gone. It was finished on the cross. It was finished on the cross. Now we rejoice in victory. We lift our eyes to Calvary. Before the battle has begun, by Jesus' blood it has been won. It was finished on the cross. His gift of grace. Our heart betrays with urge to merit or repay. We need not live to pay the cost. It was finished on the cross. Yes, it was finished on the cross. Now we rejoice in victory we lift our eyes to Calvary before the battle has begun by Jesus blood it has been won yes it was finished on the cross So beautiful, such truth. It's a real honor to stand before you this morning, and it's by the grace of God that I stand here by His extravagant mercy. I'm just so thankful for all of you. I appreciate your prayers. We're praying for you, for the Lord to strengthen and grow His church here at Mill Springs, and I want to welcome all of our guests who have come to be with us again this morning. We're very honored to have you with us. And pray if you have any questions about the church or would like some more information, just talk to us. We are honored to, to uh, have a conversation. Uh, you're among friends here. As we continue our new verse-by-verse exposition of 1 Corinthians, that we've entitled Paul's Plea, to a church on a ledge, and by that we mean a church that is in grave spiritual danger. We come now to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 4 through 9, and to thanksgiving to God. Now, isn't it interesting how the Lord works? We started this series some time ago and uh, had no plans of arriving at this text. The week of thanksgiving, but here we are. And you would think, well, you planned it this way. I did not plan it this way. It is how the Lord worked it out, and uh, we give him the glory for it. Thanksgiving to God is our title this morning in 1 Corinthians 1, 4 through 9 is our text. As we think about Thanksgiving, there is uh, 
No denying that we live in a grievously thankless world. I read this post yesterday morning from a Christian man named Graham who leads up England's London City Mission. Here's what he wrote. So grateful to God for Allison who is with me through thick and thin. On Thursday afternoon, we were both assaulted in Earlsfield after I challenged some kids for abusing a cafe manager next to the station. We were both punched repeatedly in the head from behind, and Allison was knocked down. Kids were still hitting her whilst on the floor, and passers-by had to tear them off. I am thankful to the kindness of strangers risking themselves for us. I'm sad our young daughter had to see her mom treated like that. Now listen to this. I'm praying for the girls involved. This was girls who did this. I pray for London's youth and children every day. They need hope. They need Jesus. After the loss of our son, Harry, we felt a desire to help the teenagers of Wandsworth, and this will only redouble our efforts. What a thankless world. Calls to mind the days of Noah, doesn't it? Genesis 6.11, Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight, and the earth was filled with violence. And it's not just the world at large that's thankless, but sadly our own nation. Did you hear about this from Wednesday night? A 26-year-old Christian preacher named Hans Schmidt was shot in the head while standing on a corner in Glendale, Arizona, encouraging people to attend an evening service and hear the gospel at his church, Victory Chapel. Hans is a veteran with a wife and two children and is currently clinging to life. Even before some coward pulled the trigger, Passersby say that Hans was enduring shrieks and curses in his direction. These eyewitnesses also say that following Christ's example, he never raised a fist or uttered a word against those who insulted him. Please pray for Hans. And here he is. I think we have a picture of him with his wife and uh, one of their two children. You know, I, I do want us just to stop a second and pray for this man. I don't know him, but he was standing out on this corner preaching, which is your legal right to do that, and uh, was being shrieked at and howled at, and then somebody pulled out a gun and shot him in the head. Father, we pray for this man, Hans. We don't know him, of course, but his story now has uh, swept across the country. We pray for this man, Lord. He's, as we checked this morning, he seems to still be clinging to life. We pray for him and we pray for his wife and for his two children. 
God, you can bring good out of this, whether Hans recovers or whether you bring him home to yourself. You will bring glory to yourself through it. We pray that this might raise up an army of gospel preachers who, if people won't come in here, will go out there. Please, Lord, we pray for Hans and his family. Your mercy. In Jesus' name, amen. Our world may be thankless. Our nation may be thankless. But let's not let our church, Mill Springs, be thankless. You say, well, you know, we've had our problems. It's been a difficult year. It's been a painful year. Granted. But we love this church, don't we? We pray for this church. We earnestly desire the absolute best for this church. We're willing to sacrifice for this church. And we're willing to suffer for this church. Let's take our cue then from the Apostle Paul with the church at Corinth. Because Corinth definitely had problems, right? Enormous problems. As we've talked about, they had factions in the church. Personality adulation in the church. I like this leader. I like this one. Gross immorality in the church. Class divisions between the haves and the have-nots in the church. Members taking members to court. Confusion over marriage. Controversy over food. Conflict involving women in worship. Abuses of the Lord's Supper. Misuse of spiritual gifts. And on and on and on went the problems. Yet as Paul writes this Problem church. Among the first words out of his mouth are words of thanksgiving. Thanksgiving to God. Now why? Well, let's listen why. Let's look at verse 4. He has greeted the church in the first three verses. Now he says this. I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given you in Christ Jesus. That in every way you were enriched in Him in all speech and all knowledge, even as the testimony about Christ was confirmed among you so that You are not lacking in any gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ who will sustain you to the end, guiltless, blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of His Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. This is a stunning 
Thanksgiving to God. Let's see if we can understand it. I give thanks to my God always for you, he says. Don't you appreciate how Paul puts what causes thanksgiving in his heart before he puts what causes pain in his heart about the Corinthians? He'll come to the pain starting in verse 10 where he says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, that you all agree and that there be no divisions among you. That's the pain that he's coming to it. We'll hear it next week. But first, he puts what causes thanksgiving in his heart. What causes praise. What causes him to have hope for them. And he does this in hopes, I think he does this in hopes, of appealing to their better selves. There's wisdom here, brothers and sisters. I give thanks to my God always for you. Now, why? Because, he says, of the grace of God that was given you in Christ Jesus. Do you hear where the initiative is? It's in God, isn't it? I give thanks to my God always for you because he gave you grace. And that grace was given you in Christ Jesus. Now, notice, he's not thankful for what they're doing presently as a church. Uh, what they were doing as a church in the present was shameful. Rather, he's thankful for what God has done for them historically in the past as a church. Namely, he has given them his grace in Jesus Christ. He has given them unwarranted kindness, unmerited favor. In Christ Jesus, as one commentator put it, this looks at the past, their salvation, when God justified them by undeserved and unrepayable love and mercy, forgiving their sin through the work of his son. That's verse four. Verse five. That in every way you were enriched in him. Now he's talking here about spiritual enrichment. They were spiritually blessed and enriched. How? In all speech and all knowledge. Oh, the speech and knowledge gifts. Now these were especially prized by the Corinthians. They loved speech. They loved to articulate knowledge. And they had been given, spiritually gifted, with a marvelous ability to express their knowledge fluently and effectively. Even as the testimony about Christ, verse 6, was confirmed among you. Paul had seen with his own eyes when he went with the gospel to Corinth. He saw God confirm his testimony, his witness to Christ, and establish that testimony and witness in the, in the minds and the hearts and the lives of the Corinthians. He had seen God powerfully confirm to them the good news about Jesus, that it was indeed the truth. He goes preaching the gospel. They begin to hear this message about Jesus, and the lights come on, and they realize this man is speaking truth. 
The testimony about Christ was confirmed among them, he says. Verse 7, so that you are not lacking in any gift, any spiritual gift, particularly the supernatural sign gifts granted to the early church during the period of new revelation. Paul speaks of various gifts over in chapter 12. Hold your place a moment and just hop over to chapter 12 and look at verse 4. He says in verse 7, they're not lacking in any gift. Chapter 1, verse 7. Well, in chapter 12, verse 4, he begins to talk about some of these gifts. And he says to them, 1 Corinthians 12, 4, Now there are varieties of gifts with the same Spirit, and there are varieties of service with the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all and everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by one Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another the ability to distinguish between spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as He wills. And then down in verse 27, now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it, and God is appointed in the church, first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administrating, and various kinds of tongues. Are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers, do all work miracles, do all possess gifts of healing, do all speak with tongues, do all interpret? No. But earnestly desire the higher gifts, and I'll show you still a more excellent way. And then he comes to chapter 13 in the famous love chapter. Now, obviously, from all of that, we can at least pick up on the fact that Corinth was a very gifted, spiritually gifted church. Not a single spiritual gift in the divine catalog was missing in Corinth. They had it. Corinth was blessed with all of them. So that you are not lacking, now go back to verse 7, chapter 1, so that you are not lacking in any gift as you wait. It's a strong double compound word in the Greek that means to wait ardently, to wait expectantly. We're not just sitting bored, but we are waiting earnestly for what? For the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ the unveiling, the manifestation, a future time when He will return from heaven to receive those who belong to Him. This is the blessed hope of Titus chapter 2, verse 13. And let me just say this, in this regard, the Corinthians were besting many, many churches today. Because very very few churches even talk about His return or think about His return. Verse 8 who will sustain you to the end. 
Notice now that he's talking about the sustaining power of Christ in the future. He will sustain you what? Guiltless. Do you see that? Guiltless. The Greek word means chargeless, blameless, unimpeachable. Someone who cannot be accused of any wrongdoing in a court of law. In the day of our Lord Jesus Christ, when Christ comes to collect the church into glory. Are you with me? We're trying to understand this thanksgiving to God of the Apostle Paul's on behalf of the Corinthian church. Now I want you to listen real closely because this is coming to you. Every believer in this room. Dr. Robert Gramacki. Paul was thankful that God would confirm or guarantee the unblameable position of the Corinthians until Christ's return. The word guiltless doesn't mean that the believers were without sin or blame in their practice. The epistle clearly shows that they had their faults. Rather, guiltless is a legal term. No charge of condemnation nor sentencing to eternal death would ever be brought against them in the court of divine justice. Positionally, the Corinthians were already without judicial charge. Oh, it's glory, hallelujah. Ladies and gentlemen, this is true of every single one of you who has placed faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Despite your sin, despite your blame, no charges can or ever will be brought against you in God's courtroom. Because look at verse 8. Christ will sustain you to the end guiltless. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. There is therefore now what? No condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Legally pronounced blameless. Now, not practically. Look at us, right? But legally. And the goal is to bring practically in line with legally. It's not to indulge sin because my sin is forgiven. It's not then therefore to indulge it because no charge can be brought against me. No, never, right? Never. But it's to, it's to deal with this in the practical because this is true. The Lord Jesus took all your guilt. What a wonderful song Joseph uh, sang for us. The Lord Jesus took all your guilt upon himself and wiped it out with his death. Not 
guilty. You remember that Stuart Townend hymn that we sing, The the Power of the Cross? This, the power of the cross. Christ became sin for us, took the blame, bore the wrath. That's what happened at the cross. And so we stand forgiven at the cross, you see. What a wonder that is. What a mercy. And what a relief, right? Because you know how hard, don't you know how hard we try to do good. We try to be good. We try to keep from falling into sin. And what happens? We fall into sin. The only way that we can stand guiltless before God is to rely on His faithfulness and His power and His grace. That's the gospel. We're not calling people into this church and now wagging our fingers saying, all right, you do better. You do better so God will accept you. That's no gospel. The only way we can stand guiltless before God is if we rely on what God has done in Jesus Christ on our behalf. Now, can you rely on that? Oh, yes, you can rely on that because look at our last verse, verse 9. Because God is faithful. He's certain. He's sure. He's trustworthy and His promises are secure. God is faithful. Do you see those words in your Bible? God is faithful. Now remember, He's writing to these unfaithful Corinthians. God is faithful by whom you were called. Oh, there's that word again, kaleo in the Greek. There it is. We've seen it. Two other times already, if you'll look at verse 1, Paul called by the will of God to be an apostle. Verse 2, to the church of God that is in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints. That word called means, as we've said before, authoritatively, effectively, Summoned. And look, God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship, the common share of His Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. Now, brothers and sisters, do you see the reason why Paul can be thankful even for this problem-riddled church like Corinth. And he's not looking to them. He's looking to Him. He's looking to God. God is the reason for Paul's confidence about the Corinthians. It has to do with God's faithfulness and God's power and God's grace. That's why he's so God-focused in these verses as he begins the letter of 1 Corinthians. Did you notice? Did you catch it? In verse 1, it's God who calls Paul to be an apostle. 
In verse 2, it's God who established the church in Corinth. In verse 3, it's God who's the source of the believer's grace and peace. In verse 4, it's God who's to be thanked for His grace. In verses 5, 6, 7, and 8, it's God who's enriched the Corinthians with all kinds of spiritual gifts and is going to confirm them and sustain them to the end. And in verse 9, it's it's God who's faithful. It's not them. God is the key to Paul's confidence about the Corinthians' future. And may I just say it? God is the key to my confidence about Millspring's future and about our frail, struggling, weak, erratic members. Because that's the only kind of members we have here. You say, now you can't talk about us that way. I just did. (laughs) Because I know you. And you know me. I can say the same, and I do say the very same thing about me. Weak. Frail. Erratic. Inconsistent. Oh, I get so frustrated with myself sometimes. Please tell me you know your own heart well enough to be able to say the same thing about you. I can sure say it about me. We're about to we're about to come to this table right here, this communion table. You're not going to be able to see it, but I'm going to tell you, in my heart, I'm going to crawl to this table this morning because I'm all of those things that I just said. I'm not coming to this table because I'm worthy. I'm coming to this table because He's worthy. And He paid the price for my unworthiness. Covered all my sins. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom Paul said, I am the foremost. God is our only hope. So, let's take our cue from the Apostle Paul with the church at Corinth. And offer our own thanksgiving to God. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your rich mercy and grace in our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Thank you that we have been given grace to see that we will never earn our way into your favor. That to think we can, even to try to do so, 
is to belittle what he did on the cross, is to insert ourselves in the middle of that work and think that we're going to add to it some way. How foolish. How blasphemous. Forgive us, Lord. We stand forgiven because of what Jesus did on our behalf. Oh, Lord, open up our eyes. Peel the scales off of our eyes to help us see that truth that we may present thanksgiving, true thanksgiving, to you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. I love you all. Go in the Lord's peace. Amen. We'll see you.